kill him, so they compromised by selling him into slavery. Jeremiah's family deserted him because of his unpopular message, and even Jesus' family one time thought that he was going crazy and came to take him back home to get him to come back to his senses. Nothing's more challenging than maintaining a sense of peace within some kind of a family affair. And that's why it's somewhat surprising that God is looking for some kind of an image for the, for, to be able to describe the church, and he chooses the image of family so many times in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, or you can grab one from the pew in front of you, would you turn with me to Matthew 12? Um, and it's going to be a very short passage, so I'll ask you to stand. We're going to begin at verse 46. Jesus was still talking to the crowd. His mother and brother stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You may be seated. The image is so deeply woven into the fabric of Christian thought that you almost miss it. God is constantly thought of as a heavenly father. And I believe that we many times start our prayer with saying heavenly father. That's how we address him. He provides for the needs of his family. We often refer to our church as our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is no secret. I'm sure everyone's heard it. And we also call each other our church family. I've even used the term church grandparents. I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor, and so when I was a young girl, I would have some of the older folk come up to me and say, you know, I remember when you were in diapers. Just look at how far you've come, and they'll pinch your cheeks. And every time I go visit uh, in North Carolina with my family and I attend the, my dad's church, they all do it again. That's, that's my church grandparents right there. You see, what this idea of the church as family tells us is that DNA and genetic lineage doesn't necessarily determine a family. What determines family is relationship. The New Testament uses a Greek word called koinonia that most English versions will translate to fellowship. But fellowship is more than just a little chit-chat over coffee and donuts. In the Bible, fellowship is all about sharing yourself with others. This idea of koinonia involves being involved in life with one another, knowing what is going on, holding each other accountable, helping out where help is needed, working side by side, and even sometimes that means covering someone else's back. See, we are family because we have the same Heavenly Father. That's the, way, that's the only way into this family, and there's a general sense um, that all humans are children of God. Occasionally the Bible talks like that, but most of the time the Bible's language about family is a little more restrictive. For example, Jesus gets in the face of some of his self-righteous religious adversaries by telling them that they are children of the devil and not children of God. But if they were children of God, he says they would love and obey God rather than loving themselves and obeying their own man-made traditions. In another place, Jesus defined his brothers and sisters as those who obey him and they follow him. Because, of, because God offers this sense of free will, we choose to be or we choose not to be a part of the family of God. It's our choice. But the family of God is not defined by the family that you were born into, the rituals that you observe, or where you attend on a Sunday morning, or if you do. A person becomes a, family, a part of the family by believing and obeying the gospel of salvation through Christ alone. 
Anyone can become a part of the family, no matter who you are, where you come from, where you've been, what you've done. I like how it's said in Galatians 3, 27 through 28, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's good news. The church's family, we have the same father, brothers and sisters. We also have a family resemblance. Most kids don't look like their parents, in, or they do look like their parents in some ways, but there are exceptions. And I had a picture for you this morning, but because of our technical difficulties, we, don't, we aren't able to have it up this morning. But I had a picture of my family, and we're a family of six, and we are one of those exceptions. We don't all look alike. So if you saw, if you saw my parents, you would, tell, you would be able to know that whatever they could produce was going to be a, an, un, an unbalanced group there. So my mom, she has Indian in her blood, and so she has very tan skin and thick, curly, dark hair. My dad has Irish and Scottish in his blood, so he has very fair, almost red skin and uh, red hair. And so the children that they made, my older sister looks like my mom, very thick, curly, like ringlets in her hair, and she is very, very tan. I cannot, it's impossible for me to be as tan as she is. And then me, I'm fair-skinned, and I have blonde, straight hair. And so we both have, our younger sisters, we both have mini-me's. So we have two sisters who look like my mom and two sisters who look like my dad. You can split us right down the middle. You'd almost think that we would came from each side and then we blended and they married afterwards. But that's not the case. And so even when we, uh, we were all in the same gymnastics classes, or me and my older sister, all in the same gymnastics classes and cheerleading teams. And when we would go to those places, our coaches and our teachers would think that we were just good friends or that we were neighbors and we would travel together. And they would never guess that we were actually sisters. But at first glance, you might not think that the, fa- the church family has a resemblance either. Externally, that's true. We come from different races and different ethnic backgrounds. Some are tall and some are small. Some have dark hair. Some of us have almost no hair. Our personalities differ as well. Some are outgoing. Others are more reserved. Some bubble over with energy while others are more laid back. We are individuals. We are different. There's no mistaking that, and I believe that that's also good news. But there is a family resemblance, morally, spiritually, even in our behavior and our reactions to certain things and certain people and being in certain social situations as well as being alone. There is or at least ought to be a resemblance. That's what the Bible is driving at when it says that God's plan is that we be conformed to the likeness of his son. Romans 8, or your attitude should be the same of that as Christ Jesus, Philippians 2. You resemble one another because the same spirit, the same spirit, not not multiple spirits, the same spirit is trying to produce the same inner qualities in each of our lives. That's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit. We are family, and that's good news. We're not alike, and I think that's good news too. But our family resemblance overshadows our differences. The church is also a place of nourishment. Most most churches' families love to eat together. And I'm sure you're already thinking about what restaurant you're planning to go to after this. Eating together builds unity, so that's good. Likewise, we come together to feed on God's word, 
you can and should feed on God's word on your own, but there's no substitute for coming together. And when I was in college, when I was a freshman, I luckily found a group of people who were from the area of the college town that I, that I went to. And I just felt that to be so helpful when I was away from home because they would invite me over when we had a snowstorm or on the weekend or a holiday that I wasn't able to travel back to North Carolina for. And I just, there's something different about sitting around a table with a family and eating a homemade meal. I mean, it's really nice when you're in college, you get to choose what you eat and you get to buy your own groceries in your dorm room or you go to the cafeteria, do whatever you want eat your ramen noodles of whatever flavor you choose. But it's just so good to be around the table. And that's my advice for every college freshman, to always find a good local family to visit with as much as you can. And I call that koinonia nourishment. That's that fellowship nourishment that you get. Because it just feels good. And you don't, you don't necessarily think you're going to need it, but you do. After you've had it, you realize, man, I needed I needed to be around that. I needed to have that conversation over, over a good thing of mashed potatoes. We are family. That's good news. We are not alone. We have a big family that cares about us. Our brothers and sisters are there to support us and encourage us. When we're down, they lift us up. When they're discouraged, we get to cheer them up. When they hurt, we hurt too. When they are honored, we get to share that joy. The family includes older folk from which the rest of the family can learn from. The younger folk, they make us laugh and they encourage us and remind us that the family will live on when others won't. That's good to know. And I love a song that, um, it was one of my, a lot of hymns were my, my lullabies when I was a kid. And so my parents would sing to me Bill and Gloria Gaither's song, Family of God, written in 1970. And I just want to read the words because I just think they say it in the best way. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. You will notice we say, brother and sister around here, it's because we're a family and these are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We are family, and we're headed for a great family reunion someday, amen? We're going to spend eternity loving the Father and getting better acquainted with one another, and we'll get to meet relatives that we never knew that we had. It'll be a great time when we're a family meeting at the Father's house. The church is like family. That's good news. Now, there's also bad news. Are you ready? The church is like family. The church is like a family, and the truth is that families don't always get along. Someone observed that families are like fudge. They're mostly sweet, but there's also a few nuts. And someone else said, happiness is like having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family who lives in another city. And I'm sure we've all seen the cartoon Peanuts. It's very famous. One day, Linus and Lucy were quietly walking down the sidewalk talking, and that in itself was a miracle. You, rem you may remember that Linus was the one who said, big sisters are the crabgrass and the lawn of life. Linus says to Lucy this day, 
Charlie Brown says that brothers and sisters can learn to get along. He pauses to make sure that she's listening. He says, he says that they get along in the same way that mature adults can get along. Again, he pauses to let the words of wisdom sink in. Charlie says that adults can get along the same way that nations get along. This time, the pause is a little longer. He begins to think about what he is saying. And finally, Linus scratches his head and concludes, at this point, the analogy just begins to break down. Families don't always get along. Brothers and sisters are going to quarrel. And I doubt there was even one day in my childhood that my sisters and I didn't have some kind of an argument. It was probably some small disagreement over McDonald's or Burger King. Or it was a big blowout over, I have no idea, but we got sent to our room. Some, it was either something big or small. It was always something. God bless my parents. But here's the real shocker. Church families don't always get along either. The good news is church is like family. And the bad news is the church is like a family. One wise man advised, if you're, going to, if you're looking for a perfect church and you think you've found it, for heaven's sake, don't, don't join it. You're the one that's going to ruin it. Brothers and sisters, men and women, old and young, have always struggled with rivalry, misunderstandings, and ill-spoken words. The New Testament is filled with warnings and advice about handling conflict, controlling your anger, and taming your tongue, restraining from gossip. All of it was addressed to the church family, and all of that was needed. Because the good news is the church is like a family, and the bad news is the church is like a family. So I have one last story for you this morning. It's about a woman named Marjorie Talcott. She was married and had one child during the Great Depression. The family managed to scrape their way through, but as, as Christmas approached one year, Marjorie and her husband were disappointed that they would not be able to buy any presents. A week before Christmas, they explained to their six-year-old son, Pete, that there would be no store-bought presents this Christmas. But I'll tell you what we can do, said Pete's father. We can make pictures of the presents that we'd like to give each other. That was a busy week. Marjorie and her husband set to work. Christmas Day arrived, and the family rose to find their skimpy little tree made magnificent by the picture presents that they had adorned it with. There, were, there was a luxury beyond imagination in those pictures, a black limousine and a red speedboat for Dad, a diamond bracelet and fur coat for Mom, a camping tent and a swimming pool for Pete. Then Pete pulled out his present, a crayon drawing of a man, a woman, and a child with their arms around each other laughing. Under the picture, just one word, us. Years later, Marjorie writes that it was the richest, most satisfying Christmas they ever had. It took a presentless Christmas to remind Marjorie and her family that the greatest gift we can ever offer is ourselves, our presents. This, too, is the great gift that Christ offers us, not only at Christmas, but throughout the year himself. If he was to draw a gift, perhaps it would be just like Pete's, three people with their arms around each other laughing, human community with Christ at the center. So now I'd like to invite our worship team back up to come and lead us in our final time of worship this morning. And as they're coming and getting ready, I'll conclude with this. So there's good news and there's bad news. It's both the same. The church is like a family. But it's no ordinary family. It's the household of God. Scripture calls it the household of God. That's, part, that's what you and I are a part of. That means there's a lot at stake, and we have special responsibility. 
but because this is no ordinary family, we also have some extra assets. The father knows best in this family, and he truly does. This advice always works. His advice always works when it's followed. This is also a family of grace and forgiveness. We can't get to be a part of the family without knowing that. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 5, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live, li live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Aren't you glad we're a part of the family of God?